This WBEZ podcast is supported by Ravinia, with over 100 concerts under the stars this summer, including Daryl Hall and Elvis Costello, Nora Jones with special guest Mavis Staples, the Beach Boys with special guest John Stamos, Shaggy and TLC, Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and more. Their 30-acre park is nestled in a gently wooded area. Bring your own picnic or eat at one of the park restaurants. Tickets available now only at ravinia.org. This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. When COVID-19 vaccinations began late last year, there was a lot of hope that we were nearing the end of this deadly pandemic. After hitting an all-time peak on January 8th, cases began to plummet. But now, despite the fact that around 20 percent of Americans have gotten their shots, cases are on the rise again. Public health officials warn the country is on the brink of a fourth wave. The trajectory of this pandemic around the world is going in the wrong direction. We have had six weeks in a row where there are increases in cases. In less than two weeks, every adult in America will become eligible to get a vaccine. But the president is urging patience because the virus is still spreading. By no later than April 19th, in every part of this country, every adult over the age of 18, 18 or older will be eligible to be vaccinated. Here in Illinois, residents 16 and older will be eligible for a vaccine starting Monday. However, Chicago is waiting until April 19th to make that expansion. Joining us now to discuss the latest on COVID-19 in our region is Dr. Mia Teramina. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Hi, Dr. Teramina. Hi, Sasha. Doctor, I'll get us started because uh, I'm curious what the latest COVID-19 metrics are telling us right now. How are we doing in Chicago and Illinois? You know, week after week after week, uh, in the last several weeks, we've just seen these numbers go up and up and up, and it's so discouraging. You know, we we have all of the answers to the end of this pandemic. We know that masking, social distancing, vaccinations are the means to the end. We're just having a difficult time reconciling the speed with which we're able to vaccinate all available adults and the you know, desire for young Americans, especially to travel and gather in groups and to let their guard down. And that's exactly what we're seeing here is is the manifestation of uh, people traveling and people gathering in groups and those who are vulnerable getting infected with likely variant strains since uh, the variant strains are now becoming dominant in our um, in our country and are more contagious. So we're, yeah. we're up against a roadblock here. Well, starting Monday, all counties in the state are going to expand vaccine eligibility to adults 16 and older. Uh, Most counties have actually already made this move, but what what kind of impact do you think that the expansion is going to have on vaccination efforts? Here in the state. Yeah, I hope I hope that the supply can keep up with the demand. Uh, there's a lot of energy uh, 
behind young adults uh, going ahead that are part of this phase two and getting in line ASAP to get vaccinated as soon as possible. Um, I'd love to reinforce to any young adult listening, uh, don't wait. Uh, if you have the ability to get vaccinated, to sign up and get vaccinated, there's no need to wait at this point. Every vaccine in every arm drives us towards herd immunity. So the fact that the floodgates are opening as of uh, the 12th, don't let these vaccines sit unused. Sign up for the appointments as soon as they're available to you. And the mayor says that Chicago, which gets its own supply from the federal government, it's not going to be following the state's timeline because of limited supply. But the city will meet President Biden's deadline of April 19th. Now, are you hopeful that this will help bring down that recent rise in cases? It's the only thing we have, essentially, huh? besides, again, mask wearing and social distancing yeah. uh, until folks are fully vaccinated. But that's exactly what we need. We've seen these upticks occur because we've been able to vaccinate our, our most vulnerable and frontline workers. But as we have vaccination trends moving forward and the numbers were coming down, we started to reopen, which allowed the exact people who are not vaccinated and protected to begin gathering, traveling and doing things that can put them at risk. And that's why we're seeing these numbers come up. Mayor is also uh, announcing a phased in reopening of businesses along the uh, Chicago Riverwalk starting today. The, the plan there is to open everything in May. What do you make of this plan? You know, I think uh, to the extent that we should have vaccine available uh, by April 19th nationwide for every adult. doesn't mean it's going to be in an arm, but the supply should exist. If we can really push through uh, vaccinating as many people as possible uh, into April and May, I think that we could be in a very good place to have a very enjoyable summer. Uh, but again, the the objective here is, is everyone who's eligible for vaccine needs to get vaccinated. Uh, there are very few people who who uh, don't qualify for vaccine because of uh, severe issues in their health or other needs. And of course, our children uh, who are not yet eligible to be vaccinated. So we have to focus on getting every eligible adult vaccinated. And we will be able to enjoy some of these uh, late, uh, early summer and late spring activities. Doctor, yesterday, the uh, University of Chicago reported at least 50 COVID-19 cases among undergraduate students. Uh, the university also issued a stay-at-home order and they canceled in-person classes. Are you concerned that we're going to start to see outbreaks at other universities and, and colleges as this weather warms up? That's exactly going to put us between a rock and a hard place. Uh, these young adults are becoming eligible for vaccine on Monday. I hope that they are flocking to whatever available appointments they can get. Um, you know, this is a manifestation of activities like spring break and St. Patrick's Day and, and, you know, gathering more. As the weather warms up, I'm hopeful for more outdoor gatherings, which should be safer than indoor. Uh, but in general, um, these are young folks who are unlikely to have severe illness. So there's a little bit of nonchalance there about exposures. Uh, the unfortunate reality is just because these folks get uh, infected with mild illness, it's, it's more potential for variants to, to push onward and further mutate and become a, a strain that we're not able to protect ourselves against. Let's hear now from Michelle, who's calling us from Oak Park. Hi, Michelle. What's your question for the doctor? Hi, I just, uh, I have been vaccinated for the second time and my partner also, and he gets very upset that people are still telling people to wear masks and I'm uh, listening to the doctor. But if you, if you have been vaccinated, is it possible to acquire or to pass on or to, you know, continue to move around the virus? Thanks, Michelle. 
These are very good questions. And, and the answer here is we don't know 100%. As time is moving on, we are getting more and more data to show that if you are fully vaccinated, it is unlikely that you're going to be an asymptomatic carrier and spread the virus. But it doesn't make it impossible. Um, people that get exposed and are fully vaccinated may not become infected themselves, but can still hold on to a small amount of virus. And we are still learning if that small amount of virus is indeed contagious virus that can be spread. So until we have more definitive data showing otherwise, it's our own personal responsibility to continue with mask wearing, especially in big groups. Now, when you're interacting with other fellow fully vaccinated adults in uh, small gatherings, uh, we probably don't need masks in those situations. Um, but, you know, going out in the general public and going out to stores and enclosed spaces, I would still recommend mask wearing for the safety of all. Let's hear now from Tom. Tom's calling us from Des Plaines. Hi, Tom. Welcome to Reset. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I have a question regarding the um, second shot for Pfizer. Um, I received the first one, but I'm having trouble scheduling my second one. What happens if you go over the 21 days? That's a great Great question too. You know, these uh, data and trials um, studied Pfizer at a 21-day interval and Moderna at a 28-day interval. But it's important to note that revisions were made to these recommendations, and both vaccines uh, can very much reliably be given up to 42 days after the first doses. So if you've been scheduled for a first dose and you miss that uh, interval, as long as you get that second dose within six weeks, you should be more than okay. And frankly, we're seeing folks that for various reasons go beyond the six weeks, and they're still developing quite robust antibodies. So uh, you can speak with your doctor if it's beyond 42 days about the next steps. Uh, but in most cases, we're just fine. Doctor, on that uh, expanded eligibility that we were talking about earlier, the fact that, you know, as of Monday, you know, adults 16 and older uh, will now be eligible for the vaccine. What do you think this expansion is going to mean for at-risk populations who really still haven't been able to find a vaccine? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, this is where we're going to have, when we have access open up to, to 16 and up, it, it's not shocking that those who are going to be able to get to the front of the line are those with transportation, those with technology, those with the means to make these appointments quickly. Um, for folks that don't have the technology, don't have the transportation, don't have the ability to navigate where and when, uh, there is going to be a, a need for a, a movement on the ground to get to these folks to start expanding home visits and knocking on doors, especially in underserved areas. So I truly hope that a lot of the uh, entities and, and sites that are opening up that are uh, church sites and other sites are going to be able to reach these vulnerable folks that just don't have access otherwise. Let's hear now from Susan in Oak Park. She's got a question about schools. Hi, Susan. Hi, how are you? Doing well. Go ahead with your question. Yes, um, I have elementary students and a middle school kid. Um, and our school district is about to go full day, um, and they're talking about having lunch in the classroom. So I'm just a little concerned right now with variants. I'm just wondering if I should worry. I mean, the only good news here is that they are talking about PCR testing the middle school kids in order for them to go to school, but not the elementary school kids. So i just concerned, I guess. And I'm wondering if I should be concerned or... Thanks for your question, you're Susan. Yes, yes, Susan. Your concerns are, are certainly valid, and, and this is certainly a leap of faith for many schools that are opening. Um, 
all eating uh, should be done with certain mitigations in place and that includes wherever possible that these kids are six feet apart uh, because of being unmasked. It is also preferred that they're eating facing the same direction. So hopefully your school district has taken into account uh, the safety measures that, that we can have in place. The chances of getting exposed to COVID during a period of time eating lunch unmasked and more than six feet apart or uh, hopefully outdoors as this weather improves are minimal. They, they exist but they're minimal. And what worries me and concerns me more about getting these kids back in school for the last couple of months is, is the collateral damage of, of prolonged quarantines when we have kids that are exposed to one another uh, that are, are in closer than six feet of proximity. So hopefully those mitigation strategies and keeping uh, kids six feet apart during the unmasked portions of their day uh, lead to a very good outcome. I want to ask you a quick question uh, from a listener who emailed us earlier this week, Dr. Uh, Zeke asked a question about child care as well, and he says, which scenario poses a greater risk to an 11-month-old child, a nanny who is not vaccinated or a daycare where the staff are vaccinated but the infants are unmasked? So if I had to put my money on the riskier scenario, it would be the daycare scenario because each of those unmasked infants represents a household that might be difficult to determine uh, what the parents and what the other household members are following in terms of adherence to mask wearing, social distancing, receipt of vaccine. A single caregiver who's unvaccinated but is responsible and has been masking, social distancing, not traveling should be much less of a risk. Uh, that, that being said, you know, all the, all the options need to be looked at and certainly that caregiver in the home uh, should be able to be eligible for vaccine ASAP and that would be the safest scenario of course. Let's hear now from Bonnie in Skokie. Hi Bonnie, what's your question for the doctor? Hi, thank you. Um, I'm struggling. I'm a senior and I'm struggling. I live in public housing or subsidized housing and a lot of the people did get vaccinated. I cannot because I have medical issues and when I leave my apartment and walk in the lobby, people are not wearing their masks. So how do I protect myself? I do wear masks. Okay. I double mask. I have a shield. I wear everything I could possibly wear. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks for your question, Bonnie. What do you say, Doc? Oh, Bonnie, you know, I, I think that it still is a polite thing to, to say and do to ask people to uh, continue mask wearing until we have guidance that says otherwise. For you, you're doing exactly everything you can. Keep your mask on and try to not gather in spaces. If you are going to have to interact with folks that are unmasked in an indoor space, make sure you're at least six feet away from them uh, out of an abundance of caution. A caller earlier mentioned variants. It reminded me to ask you, you know, this week the CDC announced that the UK variant has become the most common strain here in the US. Remind us how this strain compares with other variants and how effective the vaccines are against it. Sure, um, it, it was not unexpected. We knew that this would become the variant strain. It was predicted to become the variant strain in March. So it took just a little bit longer to do so, um, but it is indeed the, the uh, most of uh, uh, common strain that we are seeing right now. Um, it is more contagious. These uh, strains have the ability to sort of bind better to the receptors in our vulnerable tissues, uh, which allows it to be more contagious and, and more infectious. And we are seeing, unfortunately, that it could be something that 
um, you know, can lead to a, a more severe clinical outcome. And contrary to the wild type viruses, we're starting to see the possibility, and I don't know if this is by virtue of the fact that our kids are the ones that are unvaccinated, this may be something that kids are able to spread more. And kids in general are not viewed as being major spreaders of this virus, but this could turn the tables on that a little bit. So we have to be very mindful with this variant in the community. Fortunately, all three available vaccines in the U.S. right now are showing very good protection against the B117 UK strain. So get your vaccines. That's going to be the biggest line of defense. Back to the phones. Here's Norma in Highland Park. Hi, Norma. What's your question for the doctor? This is a question for which there is not data, so I'd love your opinion. We have family members coming from Nigeria who were vaccinated with their first shot of AstraZeneca this week, and they are coming in six weeks. They won't be in Nigeria for their second shot, which would mean they won't, there'll be a spread of five months. When they're here, would you recommend taking one shot of, say, the Pfizer, which is somewhat similar, one shot of J&J, or wait the five months? That is an excellent question, and, and you're absolutely right. There is no defined answer. If I was given this clinical scenario, I would elect to give a single dose Johnson & Johnson. Not only does it act as a booster, it's a self-sufficient vaccine in a single dose, and it would give them the protection fairly quickly while they're here and in their travels on the way back to Nigeria. So that would be my preference. You, again, are not going to find any guideline that says that. Earlier this week, Dr. Termia, the CDC asked Walgreens to start spacing the first and second doses of the Pfizer vaccine three weeks apart instead of four. Can you tell us more about that? So I believe what happened with Walgreens is when they did not know what their supplies of vaccine were going to be, it was easier in their system that was already overwhelmed and, and had its issues, as we all know, to simply schedule every single vaccine four weeks apart, knowing full well that four weeks is acceptable for both vaccines. Um, what has happened is there's a, a great amount of distress that is coming with individuals that really wanted the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, on that 21-day interval. Well, it's totally okay to get it at 28 days. Uh, that is what the recommendation is uh, according to guidance and according to the research to have it at 21 days. It is causing more of a problem to have people try, uh, try to cancel and reschedule these vaccines. Mm -hmm. So that's why the direction was given to Walgreens to, to accommodate this. Yeah, and we should mention Walgreens will allow people waiting for their second dose of the Pfizer vaccine to reschedule appointments. 20 days after they've received their first dose. Uh, let's hear from one more caller. Kalika's on the line in Humboldt Park. Hi, Kalika. Go ahead with your question. Hi. Hi, doctor. Thank you for taking my call. Um, so I recently recovered from COVID-19. So I, in theory, have natural antibodies in my body. My partner is uh, about to get his first vaccine. And we've just been curious, since our natural antibodies diminish over a couple months, What's different about getting the vaccine that makes you immune longer than that? That's a great question. So these vaccines generate antibodies to the spike protein and generate really robust T cell memory that allows us to have immunity for much longer and at a much, much higher uh, amount. The natural antibodies uh, sort of develop to the nucleocapsid or, you know, basically the shell of the virus itself, and those wane over time. We want to have the memory in our cells uh, to be targeted toward that spike protein because that's what binds to our tissues. Um, 
folks that have recovered naturally from the virus and get vaccinated, as you should within the next 90 days, are going to have a tremendous amount of very, very protective antibodies. Uh, folks that have recovered and then been fully vaccinated have antibodies that are uh, really, really uh, robust and really protective. That's Dr. Mia Teramina, infectious disease specialist from the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Teramina, thanks so much for this important public service. Thanks, Sasha. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.